Ritual, music from Ager Sonus, and the album Mithra. It begins this 1314th edition of Ultima Thule, ambient and atmospheric music from across the ages and around the world with me, George Cruikshank. We're coming to you from Sydney, Australia, and the studios of Ultima Thule Ambient Media. In Canberra, we're heard on Artsound FM 92.7, in Adelaide on 5MBS 99.9, in Sydney on Fine Music 102.5 and Fine Music Digital, and across Australia via the Community Radio Network. In North America, you're hearing us on WYTX 98.5 in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and on other stations of the PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. We'll continue now with more from Ager Sonus and also a ruptured world with their album Archaeoplanetary. I discovered the cipher for the Pictish Ogham and a secluded vault in the special collections archives at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. The folio was dated as the 7th of October 1931, approximately five years ago to the day of its current recovery from its... The cipher had been written in haste copied perhaps from memory, or scribbled down as if in the fervour of an acute form of intellectual duress or excessive stimulation, perhaps by means of instruction or coercion, or possibly worse. The unwieldy scrawl revealed a speedy adaptation by the writer of its orthographical peculiarities upon the robust parchments of the folio. The qualities were strange. I recognised the handwriting, without doubt, the work of my erstwhile colleague and former mentor, Dr. Marion Tacnassus, an academic grandee of some distinction, renowned also as a member of that remarkable dynasty of leading savants, the Tacnassuses of Massachusetts, who may allegedly trace their family histories and the arcane genealogies of ancient Greece. I applied the cipher and set to work in transcribing some of the best-known examples of the Pictish Ogham, taken from symbol stones from around the country. As I adapted the cipher to unravelling their time-worn secrets, a feeling of awe came over me. I was beginning to reveal a concealed knowledge, to reanimate the mystical truths of far-off occupants in historical time, to retrace the remnants of their noble savagery, once lost in the void of the distant past, now emerging again in a time and place that was not their own.
assembled and deciphered a wide variety of transcriptions, mostly referring to primitive belief systems or deeds in battle, peculiar to the time of writing. My attentions were drawn, however, to a transcription already rendered into legible text by the facilitator of the cipher, Dr. Marion Tarknassus. Clearly, it had been marked out as having a particular significance, given that I concluded quite suddenly by presenting an enigma. At first, I was confused. I stared and wrangled over what was plainly a series of digits and dots, which after a prolonged period of irate head-scratching, I soon realized formed the longitudinal and latitudinal coordinates of a geographical location. When I applied them to my maps, I quickly recognized a known site of archaeological interest, the sea stack of Dunakir, lying slightly to the north of the ancient seat of Donotal Castle. I was incredulous at such an astonishing find. How could it be possible to think that the modern geographic coordinate system had somehow been deployed in the very depths of human antiquities? It didn't make sense, none at all. With my head full of resounding amazement and my curiosity set wildly ablaze, I made my preparations, gathered some equipment, and travelled south the following day to the town of Stonehaven. From there, I made my way along the rugged coastline to a secluded beach, thenceforth to scale the precipitous heights of Dunakir to see what I might find there.
I found solid grips and footholds in the erratic mouldings of the elevated shaft of geology and the deep cracks of its fossilised maritime layers. When I reached the top, I found the surface to be flat and soft with a generous compactness of earth, thick grass and lush mosses. It was a smallish area, easy to cover for someone with such experience in the field as I had. There was a sense in which the groundwork had been disturbed in recent years, as if already subjected to an organised dig. But in actual fact, made things easier for me. It took only a series of brief excavations to reveal the remains of some former foundation, and among them a flat tablet of sandstone, upon which was clearly visible the familiar symbols of the Pictish Ogham. I applied the cipher and decrypted the Ogham there and then, as the wind skirmished around me and the waves crashed at the circumference of the stack below. I was becoming uniquely adept in using the cipher against the source, as if informed by some means of telepathy that aided me in revealing its hidden meanings, both with speed and accuracy. In this instance, I began to assemble yet another set of coordinates that referenced a geographical location to the north, which once again was known to me. This time, it was a piece of headland on the Bamshire coast, a prodigious promontory overlooking the sea, which was also the site of an ancient ruin of religious import, the Church of St. John's. The current ruin had been built around 1004 AD, but it was also renowned as a site of religious worship that preceded the arrival of Christianity. Annals record that the Church of St. John's had once been notorious for its strange and gory architectural custom of embedding the skulls of various invaders into the walls of its structure, perhaps to serve as trophies or warnings or as offerings to the godheads of previous epochs, which is why it was also known to posterity as the Kirk of Skulls. And so, a second enigma had presented itself. A pattern had begun to emerge, a trail of revelations that presented itself in stages or passages of exposition delivered through the cipher as consecutive steps to be followed in order to resolve an undisclosed and final outcome. It was clear to me, too, that I was engaged in a process that had already been undertaken by my predecessor, Dr. Marion Tarknassus, which she explains the mystery of her disappearance, which occurred quite suddenly, almost five years ago to this day.
following morning I rose early and made my way on foot along the hazardous rocky precincts of the coast to the church of St. John's. Oddly enthused by the ominous scene, I set about investigating the external ground of the ruin, but found nothing beyond cracked headstones and the worn slabs of ancient tombs, arranged in various stages of decay and weathering. Next, I entered the roofless interior and began to examine the dilapidated stonework of the church in some detail. It did not take me long to find what I was looking for amid the tombs and plaques, the crooked ingots, the broken plinths and fallen masonry. There were tablets of stone built into the walls, most of which were inscribed with religious observances or memorials, written in Latin, Gallic, Scots and English, depending on the period of their creation. But there was one that seemed older, more esoteric, which immediately stood out, written in a language I could not understand, with weird characters carved in the relief, which upon my initial scrutiny made no apparent sense to me. As if seeing things through a mist of gradual understanding, I began to realize that what I was looking at was another example of the Pictish Ogham. I set about the task of decoding its meaning, but found it particularly difficult. There were symbols I had not seen before, more elaborate and unearthly than the conventional examples I had become used to. But referring to the cipher, I saw that they had been listed separately by Dr. Tarknassus and placed under a heading that said, The Orthography of the Krithrahin. I had no idea what this meant, and the orthographical traits were both puzzling and unique. As I pieced together the transcription from the tablet, the hairs on the back of my neck began to stand on end promptly. This time there were no coordinates, but a piece of text that read as follows. There, wherein the secrets lie, the opening of the underworld, where the denizens of the star people have taken roost. They who favor the darkness, whose tumults are contained by the triangles of their illuminations, who call themselves the Krithrahin, beneath the rock of Fort Fidus, by the order of our high priests, to teach us of the rituals of their distant worlds. I stared at the transcription, perhaps for an hour, fully confounded by its ambiguous revelations. In time, I became aware of the crepuscular glow over the summits of Caithness. I held back in my ramshackle inn over Luton Column Bay, but I hoped to gain some rest before my journey to Fort Fidus the following morning.
That night, I suffered from a nocturnal delirium. In its aftermath, it became clear to me that the cipher was having an effect on my state of mind, as if activating some primitive source or sensibility that was causing me to have powerful dreams or night visions that had a very pertinent sense of reality about them. I saw visions of a brutal terrain of mountainous proportions, a land of staggered peaks and troughs of murky undulations that assembled into broken peaks and descended into unseen subterranean depths of darkness mixed with turbulent and discoloured vapours. There was a relentless lack of symmetry about the place, like some manifestation of cosmic disorder. Then I saw movements in the shadows of the landscape, weird figures lurking in the damp, obscure corridors of the underglens below. I tried to discern them through the expulsions of mist, but could see only a range of contortions that lacked any coherence of shape or physical clarity. Again, the reality of the vision struck me with uncommon force. I had the odd sensation of receiving a genetic memory which was being transferred from the future instead of the past, as if the thoughts of my descendants were being transmitted backwards through time, through some kind of transcendent telepathic rift in history. I envisaged them, my descendants, travelling through space in great machines, engrossed in the operations of impossibly complex technologies, compact structures of intricate circuitry, and luminous visors or screens with strange configurations on them. I remembered then the legend of the nearby reliquary of Droston's Well, where the waiters said, if you drank the waters of the well, you would see extraordinary premonitions of things to come, the glories and abominations of future timescapes. It was also said that to partake too much of the visionary waters, to sample too much of the oracle of coming events, was to enter into the extremes of madness, with no guarantees of safe return, perhaps forever.
The associations with the stars, meanwhile, and with cosmology, carried a clear suggestion that was referenced in another fragment written by Dr. Tacnassus, once so verging on a legible that I presumed it to be written under the influence of alcohol or extreme distress. It read in part, The Clifford Hinn appeared to me to be a breed apart, perhaps a native population of underground dwellers, a hominid species of antecedents hidden from the mainstream inhabitants on the exposed surface of the earth. Or perhaps they are a manifestation of the impossible, a cluster or communion of alien visitants from some other part of the galaxy, who once journeyed to our planet and who established contact with the druidic orders of the Pictish tribes, for reasons we can only guess at. And then there came another fragment, one which set my hand. It read, I initially believed that the Krifrahin had long since disappeared from our planet, but my investigations have led me to a point where it seems plausible they never left us. I believe that they may as yet exist in proximity to our surface-dwelling populations, that they have established a subterranean outpost, which incredibly is still inhabited by them. It is the chief object of my research to follow my side. It was at that moment that I detected a sound coming from deeper in the cave system. It was indistinct and distant, but it was there, a vague chattering, a murmuring of echoes underscored by a sort of languid bellowing sound, unlike anything I had ever heard before. It may have been an underground stream, or the sound of the sea being carried through the labyrinthine tunnels of the cave system. But I did not linger to find out. The reality of my predicament dawned on me, that I was exposed and alone in a place where my predecessor apparently had disappeared without a trace. I ran back from whence I came, scrambling over the crooked surface of the cave towards the entrance of Hell's Lum, and so beyond. I did not stop until I lay sprawled and breathless on the open earth, and even then I did not linger. I hastened away from Kulikan Bay and returned to the inn. The following day I sought immediate passage to Aberdeen, away from the remoteness of the north. I returned to the university, to the audio laboratory, to record the evidence of my accounts that you listen to now, which I hereby make available to patrons and members of the Institute.
we've been listening this evening to two new albums on the Swedish label Cryo Chamber. Firstly, Archaeoplanetary by Ruptured World, and from Agersonus we heard Mithra. The tracks were interspersed throughout this evening's selection and included The Revelations of the Cipher, Deciphering the Pictish Ogham, The Haven, Passages of Exposition, The Enigma of St. John's, and The Portents of Crovey. You heard all of that on this 1314th broadcast of Ultima Thule, ambient and atmospheric music from across the ages and around the world, with me, George Cruikshank. For more information about the show and to take a look at our detailed playlists, the place to go is our website, ultimathuli.info. You can also hear most of our programs back to the beginning of 2012 by going to mixcloud.com forward slash ultimathuli. You can also subscribe to the Ultimathuli channel at Mixcloud and gain access to additional content that we don't make available to our free-to-air audience. Jackson Day is the man here next week, and as usual, I'll return in a fortnight. To take us out, music from Droney Darko and RNG MNN from the album Sector Hydra. This is Emission. Emission.